1: What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another edition of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang, And Pat, we are recording this after a different version of Villanova basketball than we are used to. The Cats went on the road to Waco, Texas, and got pretty handily defeated by the newly crowned number one team in the country, Baylor Bears. 57 to 36 was the final score.
2: I like how you went with just a different type of Villanova basketball. That's a fun way to look at it, right? Let's just, let's call it a different type of game. Cause that's exactly what it was.
1: Yeah. It was something, it was not the type of game that anyone familiar with Jay Wright has ever watched. I guess you could put it that way. Cause I'm sure many people have seen the ESPN stats and information graphic that mm-hmm. was very rudely posted after the end of this game. How dare they? Exactly. Talk about the facts. Ugh. But we will get into everything from this game. But before we get into the Baylor recap, we actually have a very special announcement about a segment that we're adding to this episode. So after we talk about Baylor, we will be teaming up with the full 40 podcast, the the other phenomenal Villanova podcast. They're all over Twitter. Great guys, Chris and Rob. We are doing a holiday crossover the week before Big East play starts. I mean, what more could you ask for? Exactly. Big East play starts on Friday. All four of us will be making our picks for every single game in Big East play. And we're going to be doing an awesome crossover. So make sure to stick around after the Baylor recap, and we'll have a whole segment with those guys.
2: I mean, just think about it. Recently, we did a segment on what would we like from this Villanova team for the holiday season as a as a gift. I think the real answer was a crossover between State of the Nova Nation and the full 40. And guess what? We're bringing it to you.
1: We're giving the people what they want. Exactly. It's been fun interacting with them, and now we finally get to do a a podcast segment, so we're super excited. Yeah, it's going it. to be great. Awesome. All right, so speaking about excitement, let's talk about this scheme. I don't it. know
2: if I would say excitement. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, Maybe excitement going it, into it. Excitement going into it. That's a, good, that's a good place to start. Let's keep perspective. Let's realize that Villanova had, I don't even think you could say arguably, I think you can definitively say the hardest non-conference schedule in the country. They played mm-hmm. Purdue. They played Baylor. They played... Um, What was the third? UCLA. UCLA. Thank you. All those teams you could argue have been top teams in the country at one point of the season on the road. Scott drew one of the best coaches in the nation. And for the full 40 minutes, Baylor just dominated and they looked like the best team in the country. They looked like they had the best defense in the country. And with the new AP poll that dropped on Monday, you can see why that's the case because now they're number one. And to actually infuse some positivity in this Villanova stays in the top 10. (laughs)
2: I do like that as clocking in at number nine uh, this week. I thought it
1: was going to be lower. That's why I said it.
2: It could have been. Um, Yeah. This isn't going to be the most positive episode from me, sadly, as we we talk about this stuff. I mean, just think about how bad that Syracuse first half was when everyone was losing their minds on Twitter. Villanova scored 26 points in that first half. Of course they were able to explode in the second half. Villanova did not get to 26 points in this game until there were five minutes left in the entire game, which is just uh, mind-blowing I'm not sure fully encapsulates what this was Villanova scored 36 points in an entire game it, it's remarkable as Emma was referring to before you know fewest points of the J. Wright era Villanova held under 40 points for the first time since 1979 and 36 is tied for the fewest points by an AP top 10 team in the shot clock era not a lot of History was made, but not a lot of good history was made uh, Sunday in Texas. Texas, usually a good place for Villanova. It certainly was not this past weekend.
1: Yeah, the side of the two naughty championships. Yeah, those are the three bullets that the ESPN stats and info tweet. I had to quote it. Had to quote it. Yeah, the fewest points, lowest shooting percentage, 36 points, and then lowest or first game under 40 points in 79. There were so many things to get to. What do you, where, what do you, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with Baylor or do you want to start with Nova? Uh, Let's start with Nova. Let's go through the Nova stuff. Okay. So, I mean, I'll I'll just, (laughs) I guess I'll start with this. Eric Dixon, Brandon Slater, and Jermaine Samuels had Mm -hmm. one field goal each. Yep. That was one of my biggest takeaways from this game. The, the lack of offense, the lack of shots falling is one thing. But it really came down to, especially in the first half, because by, by the second half, I think it was pretty much a uh, sign sealed and delivered. The clamps had completely come down on the defensive end for Baylor mm-hmm. to miss the amount of gimme shots that Villanova missed in the first half was excruciating to watch.
2: Yeah. And I think it goes into a point we've kind of talked about all season where it's been that search for the tertiary score. You know, Gillespie's mm-hmm. the go to guy. You know, Justin Moore gives you the ability to score, and he actually did it against Baylor. He went to a season average at 15 is who's that third guy. And for most of the season so far, it has been Brandon Slater. Slater had another rough shooting game here. And I think a part of it was because again, he got a little shot happy and wasn't driving as much as we'd like to see Brandon Slater drive. And knowing that athleticism, part of that may be because he got his soul taken by, um, uh, Thamba on that block <laughs> when he tried to dunk over him. So his soul taken <laughs> might've played into it there a little bit. Um, but the, you know, you, you mentioned the three of them, the one I really have to focus on because it, it's just, you need, it's not only you expect more, you need more. And it's Jermaine Samuels. And I do think it's concerning at this point because from his performances this season, especially in the bigger games that they've played, you know, he was really solid against UCLA. I want to say he finished with 20 points there, but he's been, he hasn't been able to really imprint himself on a lot of these games. And we talk about a guy that's, you know, a fifth year guy, been in the program. We expect, you know, second team, all big East, all those things. He has not made enough of an impact as we need him to. And just looking at this Baylor game, I mean, he had double the amount of turnovers than points. He had yeah. four turnovers and two points. And most concerning from Samuel says, as we look for guys to be able to hit shots, he is three for his last 24 from beyond the arc. And it's it's really, really concerning at this point.
1: I wouldn't just make blanket statements like this, but I think something is up with the mechanics because his shot doesn't look right. And he looked decent against Syracuse, especially in the first half. That intensity was there that had been lacking for a few games, but you're right. And what I wanted to talk about too, is it's remarkable how teams, good teams emphasis on that point Mm -hmm. have been able to lock down Colin. The way that UCLA completely eliminated Colin in the first half the way that Baylor completely eliminated Colin Glosby for this entire game. That is their game plan. And those teams both executed it to a T. So yes, Villanova needs tertiary scoring in any game, but especially in these games with defense as good as Baylor's and lucky for us, we're never going to a T te- we're never going to face this team that has a defense as good as Baylor's never. Cause I think it's the best in the country, but you need something more from Jermaine Samuels. Not just because he's their big guy, not just because he's known to drive because he is the leader of this team. And he hasn't been acting like it lately. He looks scared. He's cautious. He's putting up bad shots. He's not exploiting the biggest advantage he has, which is jump shots and jump fakes and pump fakes and all these different things. They've all just been absent from his game. And when Gillespie's being shut down the way he was, when Moore was being shut down, and then he's the only one that can make shots, how do you expect to put up more than 40 Mm -hmm. points? There's just no production from anyone.
2: No, you're right. I actually do think confidence is a big part in this. And I think Jermaine's confidence might be a little shot here because it just, there's not a lot of conviction in what yeah. he's doing on the offensive That's end. now. A good word for it. To, yeah. Thank you. To, to be fair to Jermaine as well, he does play a really strong role on defense. You know, we know how integral he is there. He's probably the team's best rebounder. Uh, we know about the athleticism and using the length and athleticism is not something that I think this Villanova team hasn't drove. So he's, it is very important to use him there, but offensively it is, he is leaving so much lacking. And to your point, yeah, it, the threes, as I just talked about, three for his last 24 is is atrocious. And he's not making up for it by consistently getting into the paint, which I mm-hmm. think is very, very rough. Uh, going to Gillespie then, you know what, before I even talk about it, how about we listen to Jay Wright? Because he got asked that exact question in the press conference about how Baylor adjusted to Gillespie to shut him down.
0: Jay, did you see a game plan immediately to, you know trying to control uh, Colin and let other people beat you?
3: Yeah, yeah, they, they did a really good job. A really good job there. You know, and we, you know, some of those other guys had. It, it was tough on Colin and Justin. You know, they, they just did a great job loading up on them, and and, and there's, there's a balance between those guys. Um, you know, still trying to be aggressive, trying to beat two guys. Sometimes we
0: want them to do that, and then finding their teammates, and, and we did. We, I thought they did a good job finding their teammates, and we just, you know, we just couldn't make shots. But it wasn't just missing shots. I mean, they recovered really well they they loaded the column Justin but
2: they recovered really well after that awesome so always good to uh to get to check in with coach and and see what he thinks there because he can give you a lot more information than we can but you're completely (laughs) right and that Baylor Baylor focused on it and they knew it's what we've talked about through this season is that Gillespie is the guy, he's the shot maker. He's the one that can create his own shot, which I think is important because I think a lot of these, you know, the Villanova offense generates around great ball movement and good movement, but Gillespie is the type of guy that can create his own shot. Baylor said, no, it just, it, it wasn't happening. And, and, they did it to Justin Moore to a point as well. Of course, wasn't as close to Gillespie who I believe was held scoreless for the first 15 minutes or so
1: of that game. Those two threes at the mm -hmm. end of the half. That was it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So listen, it was very clearly a major staple of this Baylor game plan and they executed it perfectly.
1: Yes. And that is such a good point because all the things that you said about Samuels, I think you could very easily, very easily apply to Slater as well. His greatest strength is driving to the basket. And you just, Haven't seen that. Of course, you did see that against Flo Thamba and that's going to happen whether you Mm -hmm. get those type of blocks blocks where you have a guy as formidable as Thamba. But similar to what you said about athleticism, not coming in droves, pure scorers don't come in groves In droves for Villanova. You've got more and you've got Gillespie Mm -hmm. Slater, Dixon and Samuels can all be very, very good on offense. Maybe Slater and Samuels can be excellent on offense. But these guys aren't going baseline to baseline, cutting defenses up, being creative, creating their own shots. That doesn't happen. When Baylor locks down Gillespie from a shot perspective and from a playmaking perspective, that's where you see a lot of these issues come up. If Baylor's forcing Colin to make three turnovers, think about how much the other guys are struggling. If Colin can't facilitate, that's also one of his greatest strengths. So Mm -hmm. Baylor just shut down everything but it also calls into question who else can make a shot on this team. Who else can make themselves oh, a shot? And in this game, it was quite literally nobody.
2: It, it was no one. And I, I I as we talk about Villanova and this offense, I that the strength of this offense is how they work as a unit. And, and that's mm-hmm. what allows guys to be able to thrive in different games and different situations and all things like that. You know, Baylor shut that down in that they certainly focused on the perimeter and they were able to there were their closing down was out of this world and you know, they made sure to always have their length in there. And Nova really didn't show too much of an interest in getting into the paint. So Baylor was able to hang out at the perimeter and shut those things down. I, I you, I think you saw the beginnings of an adjustment. We'll say in the second half where Villanova goes in and has a Dixon back down and Justin more layup in the first two minutes of the second half. And at that point it was still a game. Cause remember they were only down 10 at the half and you think, okay, things are starting to change a little bit, going to get a little bit more aggressive. It, they never really went back there. Villanova finished with just 12 points in the paint. In comparison, Villano- uh, Baylor, excuse me, was at 22. And it's. <laughs> I have some points to talk about that further, actually, for the season as a whole. But I do think it's a little
1: concerning. It's very concerning. Yeah, the, the I think it's generous when you say they had no interest in going, or they had little interest in getting into the paint. They might there have was, had no interest. Yeah. There was no interest. There was no interest. There was no... Attempt really, they always seem to come out of the half well. I think that's actually been a pretty consistent theme. They come out with a lot of energy. A thought I kept having was let's say they do adjust, then you have to deal with Chachua and Thamba in the middle. So that would have been its own struggle, but Mm -hmm. you have to see some type of attempt, and it wasn't seen. And that's what makes it so frustrating because. Let's talk about Tennessee. Let's talk about how good Dixon and Samuels and Slater were in that game against some mm-hmm. of Tennessee's big guys. They held their own against Purdue. They held their own against UCLA. They had 10 point leads in those two games. So, this one, it was the lack of an attempt. And it was the la- Baylor's defense was so stifling, so high up the court that they just couldn't even get the ball down low.
2: Yeah, you're right. And so uh, this is a point I had done a little bit of homework on. And it's something I wanted to ask you about is Villanova currently is having 46% of their points come from the three, which is, I believe, Mm -hmm. fifth highest in the country. There is not. It is also the highest Villanova has ever had for their point distribution in the last decade. Not a single ranked team is even near them. Tennessee is the closest at 37% of their point distribution coming from three. How concerning do you find that? Because we know Villanova's always been the three-point shooting. I, I, yeah. I don't think that's an issue. Of course, I want them to shoot threes. But it's seemingly that they are so dependent where if that three ball does not fall, there is not a plan B. And I think that's something that we can start to look at.
1: Yeah, so the first thing, it made me laugh a little bit because it seems like people have this discussion every single year that mm-hmm. Villanova relies on the three too much. That 2018 team, that was the the main narrative for a lot of the season. And look how that turned out. That being said, this team is built differently. This team is built differently than the 28 team. This team is built differently than the team last year. It goes back to the point we were talking about. They don't have as many pure shooters as they've had in the past. So to rely on a three that heavily when it's a Samuels three or a Slater three, you can't count on those guys to hit it every time. You can count on a Moore and a Gillespie, but you can't count on a Samuels and a Slater. And it just keeps coming back to They've I mean, at this point, they've solidified their identity as a three point shooting team. Mm -hmm. They've also solidified their identity as a small team. And I do not I don't think that is the way it should go, because, yes, they're undersized. But as I mentioned, they've been able to hold their own against bigger teams. But when you stick to the five out so strongly, when you only put up threes, you make teams you make it easier for opposing mm-hmm. defenses you don't have the, the opposing defenses don't even have to be big Chumachatua and flo thamba were big in this game but they weren't as good as the guards because those big guys didn't have to do anything they just nope. had to guard the perimeter and then the last point is that you've got the shooters you've got the, the lack of a, a, a big man i the, the adjustments just need to be made go back to you i lost my train of thought a little bit sorry about that <laughs> no
2: No, that's completely fine. I I think you're right with it. And then you look at, you know, going into the paint, what makes that three ball so effective is at least when Villanova is cutting into the paint, when they are doing the back downs, you know, the weak side threes, where have the weak side threes been recently? You know, even against Syracuse, I don't think there was, it was the best you know, we had seen from them and it was pretty non-existent against Baylor. Uh, so I, I just, I want to see them get more aggressive in the lane. We know that Villanova relies on the three. That's not an issue. That's how basketball is one nowadays is going with the three pointers. But when you are so reliant that there isn't an ability to at least go inside and get those twos when you need it, that's where it can become an issue. And I I do think it's a little concerning that it is this high of a point distribution. It's okay to rely on the three. It's not okay to not be able to do anything else with it.
1: Yeah, and that's a really good point. That is how games are won. That's how games won in college basketball. That's how games are won in the NBA. The point I was going to make is I don't remember the last time we've been wowed by Nova's three-point shooting performance. Mm. So when you think about it like that, why aren't there being adjustments made? They didn't shoot that well against Big Five opponents. They didn't shoot well against Syracuse from three. So now you're expecting to put all your eggs in one basket and for all these shots to fall against the best defense in the country. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't do that. And they did make adjustments against Syracuse in that second half. They did push the paint. Just not sure why that didn't happen against Baylor.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the way I would put it is a Baylor and Syracuse are a little different in terms of talent, just especially when you you look at athleticism, we just talked about how Villanova was able to exploit Syracuse because they don't move well at all. Baylor is the exact opposite where you can basically name any player, that went out there for Baylor and say that guy's an athlete. He moves well. The quickness is really there. And I, I think that's a little bit of a problem for Villanova is that they can struggle against teams that are a little more athletic. They're going to exploit you if you're more set because Villanova's ball movement is just too good. And the passing mm-hmm. when they're on is so good. But when you find a team that is as disruptive as what Baylor does, it, it seems to be, you know, a little bit of kryptonite here.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. It was the st- the stifling. It was the disruption. It was causing Colin Gillespie to turn the ball over three times. It was causing Jermaine to turn the ball over four times. So my question to you is this is what seemed to be circling around Twitter a lot, not necessarily Villanova fans, <laughs> but not a lot of college basketball personalities were saying Villanova fans pump the brakes. This is the best defensive performance I've seen in the last 10 years. What were your thoughts when you saw stuff like that? Like Dick, Dickie V said it pretty sure Steve, Steve Lapis said it. Mm-hmm. Were you feeling better when you heard that?
2: Not really. Uh, yeah. Yes, I did. Listen, I thought what Baylor did was remarkable on defense. I, I truly did, but I was very, Villanova did get open looks. You know, it's not like every single shot was completely suffocated. They, they missed a ton of them. I mean, how many layups did Villanova miss yeah. on, on Sunday, which is infuriating and this team's, uh, hesitancy to dunk the basketball underneath it or to go straight up. I, mm. I think it leaves a lot of people screaming at the television when, when they're watching. Yeah. I know I was too, when you, they have opportunities like that to just, you know, finish, put your stamp on it and make sure that ball goes through the rim. Um, so yes, I agree. I think Baylor was, was great. I think this is when you look for textbook defensive performances, you're probably going to go to this one. Cause it's not like Villanova's offense is exactly a slouch as they clock in at number six in efficiency. Uh, but you know Villanova also really did not help themselves
1: yeah that's what I was talking about with self-identifying themselves as small because Jermaine Samuels can go up when he's under the basket Mm -hmm. he just didn't and I was oh my god I was I was screaming at the tv another thing I had an issue with is when you rely on the three that heavily it also takes away one of well, I'm, that not, that's not to say that they shouldn't rely on the three, but mm-hmm. just the way it was in this game, they weren't running out the clock as well as they usually do. I, there were a lot of possessions where they're taking the ball down the court. They line up in their formation around the perimeter. They get one pass and then Moore or Gillespie or Samuels puts up a contested three with like 22 seconds left on the shot clock. I wasn't sure why that continued to happen there's no reason to do that. There's no reason to not use one of your biggest strengths, which is controlling the tempo and ball movement. Yes, Baylor was very good at forcing turnovers, but they could have made more passes happen to mm-hmm. try and mix things up as opposed to just putting up bad shots. Not to say that all their shots were bad shots. They missed a lot of really good looks, but no need to force yourself into it when you're already struggling to make shots go in.
2: I I think that was more of Villanova was really as I used the word before disrupted and really thrown off and really put off their game. And that they felt that there was an urgency that they needed to speed things up and get more shots up to try and close things out. Because, you know, if they, if Villanova shortens the game, as they often can with, you know, running out their their possessions and being 340th in the country in average possession length as Villanova loves to be, you know, that wasn't going to work against Baylor when they fell into Mm. that hole early, they needed to try and push things and, and try to get up shots to score in any sort of a flurry. The difference was that just nothing happened.
1: <laughs> that's a very good point. And that's what we talked about on Thursday last week, whichever mm-hmm. team controlled it, that's what's going to happen. So you're forcing Villanova to play fast and that's what not not what they do. And I want to take a listen to what Justin Moore said in his press conference, because I thought it was really interesting about the way Baylor played defense too.
2: Justin, how hard was it for you to uh, you know, just get loose and get some open looks? Yeah, I think they did a great job of, um, being physical with us, um, getting up in us, and also playing two guys on us. And then when we make the extra pass, they were recovering, like Colin said. So, credit to them. They, they, they did a great job defensively.
1: So, this is a point I meant to bring up at the beginning, too, but it's much better hearing Justin say it, obviously. Baylor recovered. Yes. They made all of those moves, but then they recovered. So, anytime a cut was happening, Chachua or Thamba came back. Meyer and Akinjo. And Brown and Sohan, who expected him to have that good of a game? Mm-hmm. Those guys made big up, impacts up top, but then they didn't let anything go by them. And not many teams can do that on defense.
2: No, I thought Flagler was uh, incredible, especially yeah. defensively with, with moving around. You know, we, we know all about Thamba and Tim Natchatchewa and what they do on the interior. But, you know, more perimeter wise, I thought he was so good. I was really impressed with James Akinjo and I did not think I was going to come away from this game saying that. He yeah. was a menace for Baylor. He was that's as good as I remember seeing Akinjo playing. I know things haven't always been steady with him. Of course this is his third school. You know big East fans know him from Georgetown. I was I came away incredibly impressed by Akinjo's performance. And, and you know with with Meyer, you would think that if Villanova comes out of this game with Meyer finishing with three points And Cryer finishing with eight points. Wow, they did something real well in Villanova.
1: Yeah, even Flagler only had 10. Might have
2: found a way to come away with it. Meyer hit the first three of the game, was scoreless for the rest of it. Yeah, It didn't matter because they just, as you said, defensively, it was so strong and they were able to exploit so many things.
1: Yeah, so I think we should transition to that because the defense does continue to improve. And Mm -hmm. I just X out of my tab, but I believe they're 22nd in Ken Palm. Uh, I just had it up. 21st, 21st. 21st. That's another sizable increase. It is. They limited Baylor to under 69 points for the first time this season, and it's way under 69. It was 57. Matthew Meyer was bad. He, he was mm-hmm. not good in that game on offense, at least. And Baylor also only shot 25% from three. This is the team that led the nation in three-point three shooting last year. They obviously lost four of their starters, but they have that foundation still. They are still very much reliant on the three and scoring points that way, too. It was just that it, the way I looked at it. If you blindly look at Baylor's box score, I think you and I would be high fiving. <laughs> I think that's exactly what we what we dreamt of. <laughs> When we thought of what Villanova's defense could do, it's just that things were so lopsided on the offensive end.
2: But look at you! I started this episode talking about how how negative this was going to be because it said it, it's not a sunshine and roses game after Baylor. Obviously, it's not. But But it's you not. are you are completely correct that if there is a single positive to take from this Baylor game, and it legitimately may be one positive to take out of this game is that the defense has progressively gotten better this season And from where it started. Hello, Howard, that I'm still trying to get out of my head. Um, If things are so much better to hold a team that can score so explosively as Baylor that has the potential to to really rack up a ton of points. I think that's a really good sign. And just looking at where they are right now, of course, we're still early in the season. It's not the end where where these numbers are coming from. But as we said, they're 21st in in defensive efficiency right now. They were 66th just a year ago, and they're currently at 21st, is the best defensive rating that a Villanova team has had since the championship year in 2018. Incredible. They really have made very impressive strides. Now, if if you want to kind of throw cold water on that, you can say the big five games are thrown in there. You know, Tennessee was just awful when they played. You know, there certainly are caveats that you can throw in there. We'll see how this defense holds up when they go into Big East playing. It's going to start real quick with Creighton, Xavier, Seton Hall, Creighton getting thrown at you as teams that can certainly score. Maybe not Seton Hall as much. They're obviously a defensive team, but you get the point there that the, the opponent's better. But defensively, they have made strides. And I think that's really, really positive for this team because remember how we started the season saying that we were wondering if defense was going to be what holds them back this year
1: yeah and i don't think we're having that same conversation at all and this being said i wanted to bring up positive i have one more positive about the non-conference oh i like it you've
2: gotten two positives i had one i love it
1: yeah in in general and just their their non-conference schedule but I'm not taking away from how bad this game really was. (laughs) I really did want to say that. Like, I turned this game off with five minutes left. I could not watch it Oh, good for you. I
2: forced myself to watch.
1: I I couldn't do it. I was fuming. I could barely tweet. I was so mad because of the missed opportunities. That's Mm. what it came down to, to me. I've also never watched a game where I saw Colin Gillespie as frustrated where he was, as he was. I mean, that was shocking. Jermaine Samuels was visibly... Frustrated, Con Gillespie, oh, he could have gotten a T at one point. He was that mad, and it was in the vicinity of the ref, and that is so out of character for him. So there were a lot of bad. It was all bad, but the defense is much better. And then I guess that'll that'll bring me into my last conference and schedule point: the strength of schedule for Villanova, according to Ken Palm, thirteenth overall. That's their rating. That's the the lowest among the top 10 teams in the country right now. The second lowest is 60. Villanova was 13. Baylor, 264th. So Villanova had three losses over its non-conference schedule. They're seven and three. They're the ninth team in the country, and their three losses were Purdue, UCLA, and Baylor. Things were bad after the Baylor game. Things were bad when they blew those those two 10-point losses but they are also keeping up with some of the best teams in the country. And I think we should be grateful that Jay Wright set up this schedule and everybody else involved in the administration athletic director. So on, these are the type of games you want because that's obviously Mm -hmm. what prepares you for March.
2: I, I think so. I, it's funny because each of these losses, too, I look at differently. UCLA, if you remember, I didn't take that one that hard because I just I felt UCLA is in a better spot on the road. They ran out of gas gas there. Purdue was annoying as hell because that's a game they should have closed out, mm-hmm. even with, you know, the size advantages. And then Baylor, I mean, it was just a whipping. I mean, that, that's the way I at it. They, they just yeah. got completely destroyed from from start to finish. This was a wire to wire win for Baylor. Um, so I, I think they all get classified in different ways. But yes, I I do think it's a good thing that they were on the schedule because I'd rather be battle tested come March. So, you know, the unfortunate thing is that come committee time and seeding time, they're not going to have a true marquee win. Tennessee, I think Mm -hmm. is going to be a good win. As we've talked about, I I think they're going to be a a good basketball team come year end. I have no faith in Syracuse. So as great as it is to beat them, not sure that win is going to hold up too well. The biggest thing they can do now is go win some games in in a conference that has proven as much better than I think anyone thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Um, so Some I, road
1: wins too. So some road wins would be huge. Yeah, I, that was a, Baylor was just heads and shoulders better than Villanova. <laughs> yep. Yep. they were just far and away the better team, and it does make those two other losses much more frustrating because Villanova was obviously in those games and at times looked like the better teams. And when you when you think about how the the rating could be better now, that's obviously disappointing. But I think I, I mean I can't even imagine what Jay Wright's reaction was after this loss. I, I can't even imagine what he said to the guys and I can't imagine what the practice looked like the next day. Oh God. But how do you do anything other than we have to shoot better in the next few games? And you Mm -hmm. hope law of averages that that's the case (laughs) because yes, the defense is better, but similar to what we were talking about, we were talking about this with Seton hall weeks ago. Now it seems like defense is the constant and the offense just has to get better period.
2: I'm pretty sure you could probably hear Jay Wright screaming from Stanford. Uh, yeah. and it, with that practice in the pavilion today. And I can't imagine <laughs> Tuesday's practice is going to be much better, honestly, with the fact that yeah. they don't play until Friday. So I was you know, just
1: going to say, they got a long week to think they, about. They, they picked
2: a bad time to have the worst game of the j Wright era, um, yeah. I, I, I would say. So uh, two quick things, just... Just before we wrap up here, I, I think Baylor's an interesting dichotomy to look at on their bench because Baylor plays with very few bench players as well, which you may say, oh, well, that connects to Villanova. The difference is impact. You know, Nova was able, only able to get six points out of Caleb Daniels. That's it from their bench as Archdiacono and Cosby Rounds. weren't able to score Longino and Patterson. Of course, we know only got some garbage time minutes there. Well, Baylor was able to rack up 24 points in kind of a, a more distributed, um, distributed uh, scoring. So it, it, it's interesting to kind of look at that there, to, to see the two programs, because I know bench is obviously a huge thing that has yeah. been discussed many times. And then one positive thing, as I referenced the bench, Brian Antoine did dress on Sunday. Yeah. Now, we will discuss him with the full 40 in a little bit, so I don't want to give away too much there, but positive, we'll say. as I don't know how much to expect from him, but there is progression.
1: Yeah, and just going back to the bench, too, you, you talk about impact in terms of cumulative scoring and distribution. You could also see a game where LJ Crier is a leading scorer. He's Chuma their leading Chachua, scorer,
2: period. Crier, yeah, and so. Chuma
1: Chachua could be could have a double double. Even So, I mean, Sohan was incredible on Sunday. You're not going to see a game where Arch racks up more than six points. It's just, it, it's it's daylight. It's it's that much of a difference. And mm-hmm. Caleb struggled in this game. This is the first time he's he struggled in a couple of games, which yep, I guess is a good sign he turned the ball over though. This, this definitely was not his strongest game by any no. means besides the, the shooting. But when you see that type of bench production from only three players, it does make you, it, it made me very envious to see
2: <laughs> a little bit how, right?
1: how, how good those players are off the bench. Yeah.
2: And we'll see if anything changes with Antoine's potential. Maybe exactly.
1: Maybe that gets you a guy and then maybe you continue to get five to 10 out of Cosby Roundtree and Maybe some freshmen, you know, then you you start to get a little bit deeper. Don't get ahead of
2: yourself there with the maybe some freshmen.
1: (laughs) That's what Jay Wright's been preaching this whole time. If they can get deeper than this team Mm -hmm. cuts out such a big weakness, because then you get rid of that gas factor and maybe Mm -hmm. those losses become wins.
2: Just maybe. Well, we're going to find out because they're about to head into the teeth of the schedule here with the biggie. So this this is going to be fun.
1: All right, so that wraps up the non-conference schedule. I feel like we were just previewing it, Pat. Not yet, not yet. Aa, hey, hey,
2: hey. please do not forget Temple.
1: Temple, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, how rude of me, how the, rude.
2: The, oh, it, it's okay, because it's just, what, December 29th at a 9 p.m. Game. G- gotta love that sandwich in between Big East. But it doesn't yeah. make any sense. But hey, it is what it is.
1: It is what it is. We will get that. So we are almost complete. With non-conference play and that means that the biggie starts it starts on friday we're all so excited for it so without further ado let's get into our wicked awesome segment with the full 40 podcast
0: all right everybody welcome back this is chris from the full 40 with chris and rob we are joined by emma houghton and patrick zeng on a joint podcast episode so if you're listening to State of the Nova Nation podcast, you might be wondering who the hell is this talking? And we'll get into that in a second. But if you're listening on the full 40, you might be wondering about Emma and Pat. So I am going to pass it to Emma and Pat to introduce what State of the Nova Nation pod is all about and also to introduce themselves. So go ahead, guys.
1: Awesome. Yeah, definitely. So so I can start a little bit about who we are and then Pat can maybe talk about the content side of things. But Pat and I went to Villanova. We graduated in 2020. So we were talking about before we started recording here. Definitely an interesting year for everybody, especially the year to graduate in. But Pat and I met doing radio at Villanova WXVU. We both hosted our own separate talk shows on the radio. And then we called Villanova basketball games together, men's and women. So that's where we really got into our recording groove. We started recording our own general sports podcast uh, back in 2020 did that for a year and then we took over the State of the Nova Nation podcast from the legendary Chris and Eugene back in October. So we've been just getting into the groove of this. It's obviously an awesome season to pick this up and we're so excited to be here with you guys. It's obviously been in the works for a couple weeks now, but such a great idea from, from Chris and Rob and we're excited to get into it.
2: Absolutely. So excited to, to finally get to do this crossover episode. So as Emma was saying, excited of the Nova nation from VU hoops. I mean, w- of course we bring you all the Villanova content. We're definitely really driven by numbers, which is something that's always followed us, whether when we're recording at w- WXVU to where we are now, it's something we've always looked at, you know, bringing you coverage game recaps and, and things of that nature. And honestly, we have a ton of fun doing it. We're covering Villanova, our alma mater and all the basketball there. So it's been great, but Chris and Rob, the full 40, tell our listeners about you guys. All right. So I'm Chris, I'm
0: 2009 grad. So is, so is my partner in crime, Rob. Um, So definitely an age gap here, um, which is interesting. Uh, um, But the, uh, but no less passionate uh, about Villanova hoops. Um, We graduated in a final four year. So a different type of interesting (laughs) (laughs) from from you guys. Uh, But, but, uh, but that being said, uh, our, our stick on the full 40, is, uh, is like, there is numbers, there's analysis of games, but we're not X's and O's guys. We are the fans take on Villanova basketball. Our whole thing is few people, friends having a drink after the game, talking about Villanova hoops. And one of the, one of the big features of our podcast is the ice clinking
3: um, when, when we record, so you- I, I will say, I think Chris is overplaying our hand on saying there are some numbers. I mean, a number gets mentioned. I, we are not bringing you in-depth stats analysis. We are number it could be, nine
0: to be very <laughs>
3: clear. Let's, let's set the expectations here with what you're going to get. So definitely don't make any bets on the predictions that are to come.
1: Yeah. Fair We've got our us fair too. share of yeah. bad predictions this year yeah. too. Yeah.
0: So what are we predicting? So let's get into, let's get into that a little bit. Um, so we have the State of the Nova Nation podcast versus the full 40 podcast challenge. And what this is, is we are doing a big east conference schedule pick'em. Every single game of the Big East schedule, we have made our picks now. That doesn't mean on future podcasts we might not we might say, Hey, I wish I didn't make this pick, but we can't go back and change it. What happens now is locked in what you hear on this podcast. We're not changing it for purposes of this contest. And we haven't decided what the prize will be, who the winner will be, maybe bragging rights, maybe something more. Maybe one will owe the other a drink. Who knows? Or maybe uh maybe a trip to Reading Terminal Market, Emma. Uh, yes. you- <laughs> I love <laughs> um, that. I don't know about Taylor Swift tickets, though. Those are two That expensive. might be tough. That
1: might be expensive. Yeah. yeah. So maybe um, a biggie's
2: tournament meetup. So sure if you figure I,
0: something. out? I'm, I'm definitely
2: down for a biggie's <laughs> tournament meetup. Um
0: So everyone was challenged to pick a winner for every regular season game. And as a tiebreaker, pick the winner of the Big East tournament. Uh, Correctly picking home wins counted as one point. Correctly picking away losses only counted as one point. You got two points for picking a home loss and you got two points for picking an away win. So a little bit of a wrinkle added to it. Cause to, to challenge people to maybe they play a strategy play to pick an away win or a home loss where you might not necessarily see one, but you could see it happening just to push people a little bit um, and to try and produce a little bit of an interesting result. Um, and then you correctly pick the big East tournament winner, you get three points. So that could change the game at the 11th hour to decide the winner. So um The tiebreakers are, just to announce it, first is the closest to the pin on overall record um, in the Big East regular season. And the second is the closest to the pin on the away record during the Big East regular season. So those are all of the rules. So now here's how it's going to go. We're probably going to speed through the games where we Mm -hmm. have mutual agreement um, and instead go directly into the disagreements that we have. And it's fun because there are a couple of games where there is one person only on the disagreeing side. And those people are going to have to get challenged by the other three. So Emma and Pat, did I miss
1: anything?
2: No, I I think you hit everything. We're really excited to get into this. Such a fun idea and we're we're pumped to go through it.
1: Yeah. And we hope people can get involved. We'll hopefully give out a sheet where it's going to be blank. You give us your picks and, uh, I mean, in a couple months from now, we're going to have this all set up. So it'll be fun to track as the season goes on and to see how wrong I end up being. It's going to be great. Yep, So <laughs> love it. All right. So we haven't
0: heard as much from Rob Dormish yet.
3: I was going to but- say, I feel like I'm on the, I'm getting ready to get on the hot seat right now, <laughs> but
0: he's on the hot seat because we're looking at the Friday night game versus Creighton away at centrally at century link center in Omaha, Nebraska. And An opportunity for definitely an opportunity to lose that game. No doubt about it. Creighton's got a good start to the season, but only Rob picked Creighton to win. Rob, defend yourself.
3: All right. As I alluded to earlier, I'm going to give you the no numbers defense of why Villanova is going to lose this game. This to me is really a feel game and it's a momentum game, and it's got a couple other things happening as well, too. Obviously, Nova's coming off a terrible, terrible loss. Not only that, we're coming off a string of games where we just didn't pick up the big win. So I'm thinking a little bit that the Villanova psyche is a little bit in the dumps, and there's a big opportunity for Creighton to take advantage of that, especially given that it's at CenturyLink, which we know is a tough place to play. And Creighton has a really experienced, terrific coach in Greg McDermott. He's absolutely going to have that team ready to play. And I have to imagine there's not going to be a heck of a lot else going on in Omaha on a cold December night. So I have to imagine CenturyLink is going to be rocking to make sure that Villanova gets a hard time. In all reality, though, I do think this is, like, we know this is a tough place to play. Greg McDermott gets his guys up. And I kind of love the story. The leading score on Creighton right now, uh, guys, Ryan Dawkins, I want to say, D2 transfer, three-time national champion. He knows how to get it done. Um, and I do think this is just an opportunity for Villanova to trip it up a little bit, um, given that they're going to be playing in a tough place. So, look, I just think this comes down to, Bad momentum, bad juju for Nova, and I think we pick up another loss, unfortunately.
2: I, Emma and I talked about this beforehand, Rob. I I love that you picked them to lose this game because trying to picture what Villanova Twitter will look like after the Baylor game, if they drop Ooh. the first game <laughs> of the Big East like that. Oh, boy, that Friday night could be interesting. I I do think Villanova rides it out just with such a brutal performance on Sunday. I think Jay is going to whip them in practice this week, and I expect to see a bounce back. To your point, Omaha is brutal. Luckily, I don't think it's one of their dollar beer nights because otherwise that could be real scary (laughs) on a Friday night in Omaha with that crowd. Uh, I think Villanova's got enough to get it done. I know Cal Brenner's a seven-footer, which is really scary for for what Creighton can do, of course, trying to exploit Nova, but I, I see a bounce back performance.
1: Yeah, and you talked a lot about bad momentum for Nova. Creighton's also coming off a, a top twenty-five win. They mm-hmm. beat BYU last week, so they've got good momentum. I also go Nova here, but I like the idea of some some havoc because of Big especially. I, I mean, will, let's be clear.
3: I don't like the idea of it, but I had to make the pick. Yeah, I
1: will. Got to differentiate yourself in I got
3: to stand out. Got to yeah. stand out.
0: That's true. That's true. And but this is an interesting game because Rob could gain a quick. Rob can quickly get ahead of the competition Definitely. here because he gets two points for uh, no, sorry. He gets one point for an away loss. So, but he misses at one of our, all of our opportunities to gain two points with the mm-hmm. away win. So now that being said, if we pick up the win, we're up 2 we're all tied for first and Rob is already two points back. So little tight situation there. That being said, we all agreed on the following game. And we all think that Xavier's coming for the annual Villanova ass kicking as Chris Mack used to say.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. um, and so maybe just bad timing for Creighton coming in right before the holiday mm. off of a tough week for Villanova win or lose in Omaha and has to play at the pavilion um, in a very challenging um, environment that it will be there. So we all agreed there. So I don't think any, I don't think we need to discuss it any further. Um, but we get to our first game where there's an even split. And oh, did I say Creighton? Rachel's pinging me saying that I said Creighton. Did I do it
1: again? I, <laughs> I didn't even it. notice. Them. I Regardless. said I Xavier. <laughs> exactly. I Regardless.
0: All right. So we get to our New Year's Day game and we have a disagreement that are that is me and Emma are on one side and Rob and Pat are on the other. And so we're playing at Seton Hall in the Prudential Center, January 1st, New Year's Day game. Gotta love it. It's going to be electric in the Prudential Center. Rob and Pat think Villanova gets the win here. I'm going to let Emma and I defend ourselves picking Seton Hall in this game.
1: I like that. I think you guys are dead wrong. I think this one is is going to be a, a serious Seton Hall win. I think you could argue actually that serious Seton Hall is the most surprising team in the country. The way they came out, I think they were ranked fifth in the preseason for big East. They've had wins over Michigan. They had a win over Texas recently. They were ranked seventh overall. I think it's the unquantifiable things that make Seton Hall really good. It's funny, Pat and I just talked about how numbers focused we are, but This one, I don't have that many numbers. I think you're you're coming over the dark side. You've already (laughs) already swayed me. Yeah. Seton Hall just has it. Kevin Willard just has it. He scares the hell out of me. I don't want any part of him. And I think especially at home, Seton Hall is going to be riding that momentum and they're going to make things really hard for Nova.
3: I love it. I love it. We got another Kevin Willard
0: stand I,
1: here.
3: I was going to say, <laughs> hey, you say anything positive about Kevin Willard. And I am a huge Kevin Willard stand. Um, oh my gosh. Beautiful but us. look,
0: the thing I like about the Seton Hall team, and I've watched them a handful of games already, they're so complete
3: mm-hmm. and
0: they play hard. They play as hard as I remember any Seton Hall teams playing. And they've been playing hard for Kevin Willard, but they seem to have a different um team-based enthusiasm it's not all centered around one guy but they do have guys who have the cojones to put the team on their back i i really like this seton hall team and what they bring i think this is kevin willard i'm gonna say it now i think it's kevin willard's best shot so far in his career to make a sweet 16 run Ooh. i really like how balanced seton hall is um and they could go deeper than that now The Michigan game in retrospect doesn't look as big as it did when they did it. Um, The Texas, I think that the, the jury's still out on Texas, but I do think with Chris Beard, I think that win will pick up steam as they go through as Texas goes through their big 12, uh, their big 12 schedule. That being said, I really like Seton hall because I just have that. They have that it factor as Emma said, and I really think that they bring it and it's at the rock and there's still a little bit of a redemption Factor because we ruined Miles Powell senior night on like one of the last games that we played before COVID hit, and we were at that game, Rob. And I cannot oh. believe that we didn't catch COVID there. So um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that very, game was very absolutely shocking, packed right? with fine. people screaming at the top of their lungs in March of 2020. Oh, that's so. Yeah. So that was uh, that's wild. So that's why I have a hall win that game on New Year's Day.
1: So real quick, you agree with Chris Beard when he said he thinks Seton Hall is one of the few teams in the country that can win it all. I don't know if I agree with that. I couldn't statement. believe he said that. I couldn't believe he said it. That's I think he said one of, of 12 teams in the country. That's a little one. bit of coach
0: speak defending, so. defending a team that just beat you. So mm-hmm. I think that that is a little coach speak there. I don't know if Seton Hall has that top level player, that individual guy mm-hmm. who can like put a team on their back. They do have a couple guys with an it factor, but I just don't think they have that, that one guy. Like, you had Miles Powell to this team, for example, and it's like totally different ballgame. But I think this could be a Sweet 16 Elite Eight game, a team, but I don't think this is a third weekend team.
1: You just teed Pat up perfectly. I now say, he's going to oh,
2: crush you. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. No, I, I think you're completely like, Listen, there are a couple factors that go into this. First, I had to pick Villanova because, as you said, it's a New Year's Day game, and I'm not ready to ruin 2022 uh, with a, a Villanova loss on the first day. So I had to pick first. <laughs> all, all done from there. Uh, I think it's important to look at, too. They have to play at Providence on the 29th while Villanova is going to be coming off a home game against Temple. So uh, obviously, a much more intense game a couple days before that. I do think that factors in. And then when I look at Seton Hall, I'm so impressed with what they've done i really really had them low this year for the big east i didn't think they were going to have enough defensively they're phenomenal offensively jared Roden has been the guy that's taken the step for them he's their go-to scorer but do they have enough around it to, to supplement and make up for it i think brandon slater hopefully draws the assignment of Roden through that game i'm not sure they're able to find scoring elsewhere and i think villanova is able to overpower them and come away with the win Yep. Yeah. I like it. Obviously, I voted
3: Nova as well, too. This, to me, as I talked about momentum coming into the Creighton one, I think this is momentum starting to swing back up for Nova. And as much as Hall gets up for Nova, Nova absolutely gets up for Hall. Jay is going to have these guys pumped up, ready. We've got a senior-laden team. They've played at the Prudential Center. They know what to expect And I don't think this team is going to scare them, especially having played guys like Miles Powell in the past, too. So I think Nova goes in there, takes care of business, shows them what it takes to win the Big East.
0: I like it. I like it. I mean, I hope that happens. I just
3: (laughs) don't know if it's going to.
2: Yeah.
0: All right. Two agreements uh, back to back after this January 5th at home versus Creighton. We all seem to agree there um that villanova win also one thing i'm going to point out a little narrative about our biggie schedule this year i don't know if you guys noticed while you were going through it it seems like we play both games against a, the same opponent back like very tightly one another yes like like creighton is a couple games then then xavier we play twice in a row we play like saint john's tight to each yeah. other like it's providence all- and yukon providence way towards down. the end yes yeah, yeah. Yeah. it's, it's yeah. weird it's a super weird schedule that we play these teams like so close to one another. Like if we have to fake face Creighton in the Big East tournament, it's going to be a totally different team than oh, we did yeah. than we played in January. It's, it's like a of the game film now. Um, um, so so we have we're home versus Creighton. Now, one thing that I do want to just point out is that all four of us picked an away win at DePaul. Is it's, DePaul it's legit? DePaul. Is the Paul legit? Because there's a, like, if the Paul is legit, then that is an op. There's a, that is a game for all of us to potentially gain two points. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I, the, to me is like that, that game I, so I sort of thought about for a second. Oh my God.
1: If you had picked a Paul, I would have not shrieked. I, I would have <laughs> shrieked. I didn't, I'm going to regret it. I, I've been so high on DePaul, so high on DePaul. And Pat and I joke about it all the time. We do. But I, I'm actually serious about some player. Javon Liberty Freeman is or Freeman Liberty is so legit and they've got enough of a supporting cast around them now where it's not a joke. And it is Liberty Freeman. I'm sorry. 20 points, eight rebounds, four assists, two steals. That's pretty complete. Is Liberty Freeman a a
0: great little little redundant? I would say so. I mean, great name for the 4th of July. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So,
1: They also kept it close against Loyola Chicago and they beat Rutgers, which I think are two relatively quality ones.
2: And they just beat Louisville. I love that. Sorry, Chris Mack. (laughs) Yeah, he messed with Happy. He he really did. I'm still not taking DePaul fully seriously, as fun as it is to see them at 8-1. They do have some players. They can score a little bit better. But if this is Villanova team, and this is a Villanova team that is still towards the top in most efficiency numbers, they have to beat DePaul. And that's how I look at it. Yeah, all it's, right. it's DePaul.
3: Don't overthink
0: it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't. <laughs> we all put Villanova in. Um, all right, so next up is away at Xavier on January 12th. Emma, you have to defend yourself here. The three of us picked ranked Xavier at the Cinta Center to win the game. I don't want to get to too much more than that. Emma, you picked Villanova to storm into Cincinnati and pick up a big win where Ohio State and Cincinnati couldn't. Tell us why.
1: Yeah, I think I think Villanova's going to sweep Xavier this year, and I don't think Xavier's overrated. I think they've got a really good squad, and they got much better when Zach Fremantle came back, and he's been healthy since literally December 1st when he started getting those minutes back. I believe it was a foot injury. As well-balanced and from a points-and-minutes standpoint as Xavier is, and I'm going to steal some of your fire just so I can defend it myself they have nine players who average more than 15 minutes and six players who average more than eight minutes. So when you talk about the differences between Villanova and Xavier, that's pretty stark there. Villanova can shoot better than them. I think Villanova plays defense better than them. They might have the size disadvantage, but Dixon and Slater and Samuels have proved at multiple times throughout the season that that might not matter if they bring the in- defensive intensity. So I think it's going to be a tough road atmosphere, but I do think is the better team.
0: I like it. Again, I do. Like I hope it place. happens.
1: I hope it happens. I just don't think it will.
3: Cintas Center is a tough place to play. Mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to go there for a game was it, a couple of years ago, I guess, something like that. That's another place they get excited, and there's something there's something about the Cintas Center that we seem to struggle with a bit. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. especially given Xavier's team this year, they've got the experience. They basically brought back the whole team, and they've. They've, they're off to a good start this season. So I expect them to carry forward. I do think the home court advantage absolutely plays in this one. So it's Xavier for me. All right. Yeah, I like it. I'm, that,
0: Rob speaks for me on that one.
2: Say Same thing. Centos is brutal. Uh, and I think that plays a huge part of it. I'm all on the Colby Jones train for Xavier that I think he's developed into a stud. I think this is a really tough one for Villanova to try to go in and win that game.
0: All right. So then an interesting piece of the schedule. 16th at home versus Butler 19th at home versus Marquette 22nd away versus Georgetown and 25th home versus DePaul. All four of us have Villanova winning all four of those games easy. We're going to speed through that. So I do think that is the, not the lightest part of our schedule, but maybe you could argue just because of the mix of how who's home and who's away during those games. So then we get into The end of January, 29th, at home versus St. John's. And I have St. John's winning that.
3: So That's on on you, Chris. That's That's on on me. You
0: take it. That's on me. Here's what I did here. I kind of looked at last year versus St. John's, and I said the first game that we played them, we were lost.
2: Oh, disaster.
0: Yeah, just lost in that game. The second game that we played them, Jay figured it out. Team figured it out, and we whooped butt. So, so <laughs> whooped butt. We whooped. We whooped their butt. So, <laughs> so that's that's what I'm saying here. I think I think St. John's in the first game that we played them, even though it's at home, I think we have we come off of four wins. We're starting to feel ourselves again. And whatever they come out, they're playing everything. Posh Alexander's everywhere. Champagne's hot from deep, and they get into our grill like Baylor did. And we start to cough the ball up a little bit. We start to make some mistakes. They get hot. They feel they feel themselves. I have St. John's beating us at home. I won't lie and say that I did look for an opportunity to pick up Mm -hmm. a random home loss in this, to try and win the points battle here. But I did have Villanova losing to St. John's in one of the games. um,
2: And I decided to pick the home game for that reason. I went back and forth on this one. I, I, you almost had me to, to go with St. John's St. John's is such a rough matchup for Villanova. If we, we play in that way, because as we know, watching Nova obviously plays very slow. St. John's is all about getting in your face. They're fifth in the country in tempo. They push the ball so much. Nova hates that. That is obviously not the game they want to play. So I think the Johnnies can cause some trouble, obviously with Champeny and Alexander, as you said, just the home portion of it is why there, at least I, I led to Nova.
1: Yeah, Chris, I, I feel the same way. I said mm-hmm. all those points you said, except for the away game. Yep. So I, I I think St. John's is going to get, at, at, well, not at least. I think they're going to get one win over Nova. And I think it's going to come when they're at home. They average 10 steals a game. I think you could argue that Villanova's experiencing a little bit of a turnover problem. If they faced St. John's earlier, I would actually feel even more confident giving them the loss. But I think this one's a win at home. They'll do enough. Gillespie can stay. Composed enough, but then on the road, it's gonna be a repeat of what we saw last year, where they just breathe down your neck every single possession. And as Nova showed against Baylor, Gillespie's gonna get frustrated, Jay's gonna get frustrated, and it, it starts to crumble a little bit.
0: All right. Rob is Rob is laughing because Rob knows that I just have a soft spot. I have a soft spot for Kevin he, Willard, I was a soft say, spot for St. John's. So
3: very athletic team, as Chris likes to say.
0: <laughs> that was a different era it was, uh, it was. That was a he different
3: was very year. big on their athleticism they never lost
1: but. i think they're a tournament team and their non-conference schedule did not go as well as i thought but i think the johnnies are going to get a bit
0: I I, do. I I just think they play up and down to their competition
2: they do oh 100
0: except for the top like kansas i whooped them but like yeah you know, i i don't you know i don't think i, I think they play up and down so their numbers don't look good. Their analytics don't mm-hmm. look good because they don't they don't stomp teams out that they're not excited to play, <laughs> and they like, like let Monmouth hang around forever. Not that Monmouth's that bad of a team. Monmouth's a good mid major, but like they let Monmouth hang around the whole entire game when they just could have ratcheted up the effort. Better than them. that, yeah. Yeah. All right. The next game, we also have a, uh, disagreement. Groundhog's Day. Rob, <laughs> Rob picks Marquette. Look, In Wisconsin.
3: it's a common theme. It's a common narrative for me. You're going to hear basically the same thing again. It's a tough environment to play. Marquette has shown they can play against some good competition this year. Yes, they beat Illinois. Yes, that win has lost. Some of it's luster. Absolutely. And no, they did not show up against UCLA. But then again, we didn't show up against Baylor. So you can't fault them all that much. They've got a new coach there with Shaka Smart. I think these guys are going to be pretty jacked up for Nova to come in here. And I think just given the environment and especially again, I'm thinking about, I tried to think about this in kind of waves of the season. We come off four nice wins. It's kind of almost like time for a loss, if you will. So I'm thinking about it in those terms as well. So that gets the loss for me.
1: So I pick Nova, but this was the hardest decision for me of all the games. I I really do. I think Marquette is, definitely without a doubt the dark horse of this conference because Seton Hall has already proved itself to be pretty legit they're crazy high tempo crazy good defense the home crowd I wouldn't be surprised at all if Shaka Smart upsets Nova not at all
0: I wouldn't be surprised in in Wisconsin like like that that's that's definitely a game that's losable um I, I ultimately came down to for me we for me in my mind I'm coming off of St. John's loss so I'm so I'm so I'm coming off of the guys are hot coming into the Marquette game, but mm, that's, that's gonna, true. Yeah. A, that's a good perspective. Actually. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a tough environment. I totally get your point there. Um, but I just question if Marquette is actually that good. And I like, I realize that that is a tough argument to make with the win that they have over Illinois, but Illinois didn't have Coburn nope. in that game. Yeah. So I, I am, I'm like, uh, you know, are they that good? I don't know. Like, I think Wisconsin beat up on them pretty good and Wisconsin plays slow tempo um, like we do. So I feel like tempo wise, approach wise, we can we we know we're gonna watch that Wisconsin game film and we're gonna figure them out.
2: Put, I'm with you. Play this back when when I get it wrong, but I'm not afraid of Marquette at all. They're, they're going to hit you with defense with with what Smart puts out there. They cannot score. They're they're not a good offensive team. They're going to struggle there. I think Villanova causes enough havoc defensively with turnovers that they're going to just outscore them. So Villanova's going to sweep Marquette. Put that one. Down. I like the
0: use of right. Villanova causing havoc. Yeah, right. Try <laughs> nice. Tried to throw it in there. All right, I'm on the defensive again. February 5th, and what I like to say is the sweet week of the Biggie schedule. This is the best week of the Biggie schedule. You totally agree. Home at the Wells Fargo Center versus UConn, away at MSG versus St. John's, and home at the Wells Fargo Center versus Seton Hall. What a week of
2: Villanova basketball. Super Bowl <laughs> on the 13th as well, too. That was Yeah, right, right. So, Crazy. awesome.
0: Awesome week. And the um, Olympics. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, duh. The Olympics. <laughs> um, So, you have UConn at home. I'm the only one who picked the Villanova Wildcats to win that game at home. Now, I get that's in the Wells Fargo Center, and the home court advantage might not be as strong as it would be in the Finn. But, guys, how am I the only one to pick us at home versus UConn? The only one? Come on. I'm putting you guys on the
1: defensive. Defend that pick. Defend why UConn is
0: going to beat us at home.
1: Rob, I got to ask you quick. You have Nova dropping Marquette and then not getting up to play UConn the next game. Yeah,
3: this is. I, I'm banking on. I'm thinking on this narratives. I'm thinking momentum. This is like a late January, early February swoon for Nova, mm. and then starts rounding into form after that. But that's how I see it playing out. Yeah. So I don't. I don't think. I'm also. I made these picks after the Baylor game. I'm losing a little <laughs> bit of confidence in the team. I'm not Polish. bullish. <laughs> there was definitely some emotion factored into these picks 100%. But, yeah, I from what I've seen with this team, the mental fortitude right now is not quite there to just say, yeah, we lost, we're right back up for this game. So I can put a couple losses back-to-back, back, especially if one of those losses – is against a really legit UConn team, Mm -hmm. well-coached, obviously, as we talked about earlier, has a lot of talented players. So, you know, in my mind, Marquette's more of the stretch there. UConn's just, yeah, that's a good team that could go either way.
2: Uh, and then I go, I'm scarred from what I've seen in, in Purdue and Baylor with good interior defenses. And that's what UConn is going to bring here with Sonogo, Polly and Isaiah Whaley. Those are th- and I, a cook, a cook as well, who doesn't get as much run anymore, but he's basically a seven footer for them. They're going to shut down the interior. I, I don't like Nova's chances for what we've seen them so far against teams that really clog the paint. Don't let Villanova get that drive and kick.
1: Yeah. If this had been a legit home game, I might, I might've put a little bit more. Shot shots fired it.
2: to Wells Fargo right there. And, yeah, I, I really don't. Fire.
1: No, no I there's really no shots fired shot. here.
0: <laughs> yeah. No shots fired here. You guys have listened enough to us. We have yes. no belief that that's a home game. like no. it, especially it's the not the game.
1: Yeah. The biggest compliment I can give UConn is that they rebounded from losing James Booknight and they replaced him by having eight legitimately good players in his week. That and helps. Villanova just doesn't have that. And we don't have to get into the whole conversation about rotation and the freshman blah 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 but if you're saying that nova was gassed after purdue and ucla uconn literally goes like five deep i just i i I don't see nova keeping up with that
0: to your credit you have emma emma and pat you have both have uconn winning both games against yeah i have a sweet we did not talk about before that yeah we i just i i think uconn's so good uh look I get it. I get, I think UConn's great. I love it. I love Dan Hurley, etc. I love the whole thing. I just think home game, even though if it's at Wells Fargo center, I like our chances to get, to get right in that game and, and get a big win. That might be the best win of the season. Um, to that That's point. Really point. Um, and I really like our, I like our chances in that game, but I am also picking us later in the, later in the pod, you'll see I picked us to um, to lose at, gamble so i'm not you know i get it i get your point um all right st john's away emma i think you already i think we can actually skip this one because you kind of defended this point with me on the last one so yeah i think i think that all makes sense msg emma has emma has st john's um beaten villanova we've seen that tape before of late i I have uh, the rest of us have villanova winning i think we're all probably thinking, Nah, it's not going to be that much of an away game. We're going to get them in that one. All right. Then we have Seton Hall at home, and it's an interesting dichotomy because Emma and I had uh, had us losing to Seton Hall at Seton Hall, and then we Emma and I both have us winning. At home versus Eaton Hall. You guys have us losing at home versus Eaton Hall. What changed your mind? What changed? Is it the two points versus one point?
2: That might have played into it a little bit for me. Definitely a little bit of strategy there. It definitely it definitely helps.
3: And I mean, look, we talked about this earlier. It's kind of a it's gonna be a competitive game for either mm-hmm. for either of these teams, regardless of location. Uh, I don't see a sweep either way for these teams, just because of how they play and because of the history and the coaching. Like these guys know each other well enough. So in my mind, it's a split. Happened to give it to
2: uh, to Nova earlier. Going to give it to the Hall this time around. Yeah, pretty much same reasoning for me. I, as I downplayed Seton Hall, I still think they're a team that can you know cause some trouble for Villanova, and because of that, I think a split happens.
0: For me, it's a revenge game off of the last one. So. <laughs> Mentally, I'm going. We're at home. It's a revenge game. We're going to get their number this time.
1: Yeah, and this is Wells Fargo, right? Yeah, this is Wells Fargo. Yeah, this is this is the annual insane Seton Hall Wells Fargo game that they win.
0: Yes. Also, the annual. This is usually the time of the year where where Seton Hall has the team infighting portion of the schedule. Oh, good point. Yeah, so they usually start to lose games randomly (laughs) late January into mid February, and then they get right for the tournament. So I'm seeing their swoon happening right around this time. This is where Kevin Willard becomes overwhelming. I was just going to say infighting. That's when he just stops
1: talking to the media. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Everything's
0: sunshine and rainbows now. Give it a couple months and Kevin Willard will be yelling on the sidelines, sweating his ass off. So like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried about Seton Hall in early February. That's an infighting game for them. (laughs) I do love that. (laughs) All right. I have to defend myself on the next game, although I don't think I should have to. And I have another one with you guys where I have a total disagreement on. But we play February 15th away. So after that big week, we then have to go on the road to the dunk and play Ed Cooley and the Providence Friars. And out of two games, two games that we play in pretty close quarters, none of you have any concern at all about Villanova dropping any of those games to Providence. Yeah. I'm the only one who picked Villanova losing at the dunk in February. I don't know what that's about. The dunk is a different universe. It's kind of like a, it, I don't know if you guys watch Marvel, but it's kind of like Talo. You to go into a different universe when you're in the it multiverse. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. You're in the multiverse. It's like this weird, bizarro world of the Dunkin' Donuts center. And you have to play this game against Providence and Ed Cooley and all their fans. And they're all nuts up there. And I, I don't know, Emma, you're you're from Connecticut. Like, mm-hmm. come on, like you gotta know that Rhode Island next door. They go she's got go family at Providence yes. too. So I'm sure <laughs> hard. They go hard. They go yeah, hard, so, so, so
1: my brother goes to Providence and both my parents graduated from Providence. So they're going to be upset that I didn't pick Providence here. I don't want to step on your toes here, but you mentioned another team plays up to their competition. Providence is one of the most inconsistent basketball teams I've ever watched. And I think this is the best they've been in a while. I just don't think they ever bring what they need to beat teams in the Big East. They had so many highs. They beat Texas Tech. They had a lot of good wins in the non conference, and they just can't put it all together. I think Nate Watson's really good. Horkler's really good. That's been mm-hmm. the difference. Al Durham's a beast. I just don't think they could beat Nova. The one yeah, thing that scares
2: I, me is the dunk in mid February because there are some yeah. bad things have happened there. Then in that specific time frame too. But otherwise, I think Villanova gets it done.
0: They have some big returnees. They have had Cooley mm-hmm. as a coach. They have the they have the they have the the stupid friar who is the <laughs> terrifying. Right <Brightening>. name <laughs> terrifying and is the right word. Yeah, I, you know, I am. I, I just don't like us there. I don't like us away at the dunk after night. Mind you, I'm coming off of four wins, so we lose to St. John's, and then I have us beating. Um, Hall and Yukon and St. John's on the road, mm. three big wins in that big week, and then I have us drop into the the Providence Fires at the dunk. All right, we don't need to talk about Georgetown at all. I think we can nope. all agree about that. Nope. <laughs> um, all right, so then we have February 22nd at Yukon. I think we all agree that Yukon's good, Rob. Is this a moment? Is this, are you going back to this momentum? No, this
3: this one's not as much of a momentum thing. This one's a a little bit more of like kind of a, a math equation, if you will. You know, if I go back to this idea, just thinking conceptually about teams in the Big East sweeping Villanova, I just had a hard time wrapping my head around any coach and any team getting the best of our guys and our team two games during this season. Yes, we've had our ups and we've had our downs already. But at the end of the day, the talent on this roster is still heads and tails, I would argue, above a lot of the teams in the Big East. Yes, any one of these Big East teams can pick up a win, except Georgetown, that's for sure, Um, can pick up a win against Villanova on any given day. But can they pick it up twice? I don't think so. So I had uh, UConn beating us earlier and I had uh, Nova just picking one up to, to return the favor now.
0: Awesome. All right. I won't, I won't push you too hard on that one. But yeah, like,
1: uh, it's a very, it's actually a very nice, positive thought. I, like I know. I like it. it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I, we, I think we all want to win at Gamble. I <laughs> yeah, just don't I'd think love, we love think it. it's <laughs> going to happen. <laughs> um, all right. March 1st versus Providence. We all agree. We talked about that just a couple minutes ago. We got, we have all agreed that we're going to win that game at home. And then the Bugaboo game. (laughs) And then the game that kills me, that none of you picked this as a loss. I don't understand it. How many times do you have to watch us go into Hinkle Fieldhouse (laughs) and lose a game that we should win? How many times – the 2018 team gave up 101 points in Hinkle Fieldhouse on a 73% shooting night, like, from from Butler. Like – What is it going to take for you guys to believe that we're just not going to win in Hinkle Fieldhouse? I was the only one who said, I'm going to look at the evidence here. And the evidence says we're going to get our ass kicked (laughs) in the final game of the regular season. It doesn't matter what time it is. It's at Hinkle. It's a different universe. And here we are.
1: They don't have the guy, though. They don't have a guy. There's no Kamar
2: Baldwin walking through that door.
1: No, they're not going to put up 100 points. No they way. have
0: Hinkle Fieldhouse. Yes. That's the guy. Is,
2: that is that's, that's true. That is yeah. the, the guy. The
1: sun rain thing. That was that was a couple of years ago, right? Oh, I remember <laughs> that game. Yes. Yeah.
2: That that's what it is. for For me, I just I don't think this Butler team is very good. If I go straight out and say it. But Hinkle is well. We can say it living hell for this Villanova team. And there is always a chance that those rims get real tight, real fast. They did just pick up a win over Oklahoma. They yeah, did, I'm which saying. I was not expecting at all. That was a big win. But, they, but to your point, they got
0: blown out by Michigan State, Houston, and, uh, and they lost to a So They've got I mean, Purdue this weekend
3: too. I mean, Chris, you know, looking just based on records, we're, we're about even with Butler, so it's, it must be an even matchup. <laughs> Quality teams. <laughs> all right.
0: So regular season recap. This is an interesting point. Emma and Pat, four losses only out of 20. So 16 and four is their projected record. Rob has five losses, 15 and five. I have 14 and six. Uh, and so I looked at that and it was funny because like going through this exercise, I would have thought, Oh, Rob's definitely going to have the most losses, but just doing the actual math. Um, I actually was the mm-hmm. least bullish on this team for me, just to talk on an overall basis. I think this I think the big east is really tough. I think it's challenging. I think it's going to be a gauntlet this year. I would have told you before the season started that I thought we had a chance to go like 18 and 2 mm-hmm. in this conference. Looking at the looking at the actual results that have happened so far, looking at our results of what's happened so far, knowing that we got to play a lot more away games. I just and knowing that Jay has not found a way to work in the freshman, I think that. There isn't as much upside Uh, like I think the floor is very high, but I don't know if the upside is that high. So going deeper into the season, I'm still thinking the same team's coming out every single game to play that game. And what do we got? So, uh, you know, for me, that's kind of my justification for being the having the most losses of all of us.
2: Does six losses win them the Big East regular season
0: title? It's close. Mm. I, think, I think we actually might get the two seed, but I can see it being a tie at the top. I can see it being 14-6, which, by the way, I love that. Just to be clear, yeah. I would that much rather prefer being the two seed and playing the night games. The big oh, games, games. Been the
2: game. oh. oh, the noon game? Oh, the
0: noon game is the worst. Oh, it this is. is the worst. Really bad. So, speaking of the tournament, we have winners picked. Rob and I have agreement. Seton Hall is going to win the 2022 Big East tournament in MSG. I want to pitch it to Pat who has (laughs) Villanova coming out ahead in the Big East tournament. Tell us why.
2: And I find it funny too, because I think like as we go through our podcasts, I'm usually the negative one (laughs) when talking through things. But when I look at this Villanova team trying to take this Baylor game out of our minds, which of course is going to be very fresh. um, I think it seems really good. I think that starting five, I will go toe-to-toe with any team in the Big East. I know I talked about how UConn's a very bad matchup, but I have them as the two-seed, which would put them on the other side of the bracket. If they get off to a one-off in a title game, I think they can come away there. I'm hoping the rotation comes into more effect. Maybe Brian Antoine plays a little bit. I know we'll talk about that in a bit. I just I look at this Villanova team, and there's so much talent. I say they have enough to get it done. Uh, that said, Big East is great, and it's going to be a bloodbath on the way through, but I think Nova comes away with it. I really do. I love it. Emma, you are the Connecticut homer
0: picking UConn <laughs> to win this game.
1: I'm not usually a homer. It's funny that you said that. <laughs> um, so I had four losses, and I think it's very simple. I had UConn twice, St. John's, and Seton Hall. Those are the big teams, those are the high-tempo teams, and those are the really good defenses. And those are Villanova's three biggest weaknesses.
2: I sense a narrative. Yeah, so, uh,
0: There's definitely narrative going on here. I love it. I think Seton Hall, we've explained – why I think that's a defensible pick Seton hall in the garden in Mm. MSG is, is pretty, is pretty good. So I like it there. I will ask you guys one question at this moment in the season, if you had to pick the Georgetown, if you will, the, the team that comes out of nowhere to steal an automatic bid, who's your team?
1: I got it right away. Marquette right away. I think their defense is good enough to win them games Daryl Marcel was so good at the beginning of the year. He's fallen off a little bit, but if he gets up in that offense, they've got some guys and I'm so high on Chaka smart. I think they're just going to be fun to watch and all their games are going to be less than 60 points. It's going to be just painful to watch from an offensive standpoint. But it's going to be a rock fight every single time. Hey, if
2: we scored 60, 100 <laughs> yeah Exactly. <we'd> be <laughs> cheering. Yeah. Uh, a cop-out answer is if I can't say Villanova, UConn, like, uh, or... Um, Seton Hall, Xavier, I'll go St. John's because they have enough high end talent champagne champagne and posh Alexander that they can get hot and win games, especially being at the garden. If I'm going without those teams, I'll say Creighton, you know, I think Ryan nemhard has been so good. As I said, I I do not have confidence in in Marquette there. So that's why I'll, I'll go with
1: the Blue Jays. Nobody really talked about Xavier on this episode. Rob, a lot of people are high on Xavier. I'm not
3: high enough on Sabre to pick him to win the tournament. That's for yeah. sure. I And and I think a lot of that comes down to just coaching experience. Like, yeah, they've got the players there. Travis Steele to me still, I think, has a, has a bit to prove. And I think he'll probably just have to overcome a little bit too much in what is going to be a challenging tournament this year. So I think that one's uh, a little bit of a bridge too far for me. Uh, I like the St. John's pick. If I'm picking a dark horse um, for the exact same reasons that you mentioned, Pat, I, I don't think it ends up being a dark horse, though, just because there's enough quality there to pick mm. from at the at the
2: top of the uh, conference yep i'm just think. not answering the question <laughs> what was the question
3: <laughs> the answer was pick a dark horse i said st john's oh okay i said i said i agree with that uh, but i said uh, but i don't think that will happen uh my dark
0: horse the DePaul blue demon oh baby. yes do it yes <laughs> the darkest of dark horses the darkest of dark horses i uh, love it, I love it. Oh man, I'm uh, rank the Paul, baby. Rank rank to rank. Yes, give yes. them votes. Yes, yes. 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 <laughs> I love it. All right, that's it. That concludes our our uh, walkthrough of the Big East tournament. This will uh, the Big East schedule. This will be on all socials. You can participate. Feel free to put your picks up. We'll get that out. Um, this is going to be a lot of fun. Let's pick them. You can buy by the same rules. If you win, if you beat all of us. We're not experts, so or at least Rob and I aren't experts, so no, yeah. <laughs> you, you don't really get a whole lot of gain out of that. You just listen to, to people who happen to record their what they say about building a basketball. Yeah. Um, but but there you go. There you have it. So we do have a little bit. We're going to do a joint mailbag? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Do a couple questions here. We're, we're running out of time, so yes. we'll, we'll do a couple questions uh, from the mailbag
2: here before we sign off. Cool. Let's do it. All right. Do you want me to start with one just from basically yeah. coming out of the Baylor game too? So I, I mean, we, Emma and I were searching for positives before we got into this. And I guess one of the positives you can look at is that Brian Antoine did dress for the Baylor game. Of course, didn't get into it, but a question coming in from Patrick Madden here, what are realistic expectations for Antoine? It, you know, is there any reason we can think he can make a contribution?
1: I guess I'll start. I think the realistic expectation is that we shouldn't have expectations. Yeah. He struggled in this position so far. It is absolutely wonderful to think about getting 15 to 20 minutes from him off the bench. Pat and I spent 20 25 minutes talking about how good Baylor's bench was on Sunday and how that elevated them and separated them from Villanova. And it would be great to have that type of production from the bench besides Caleb, but we just don't know what we're going to expect. It's a huge step that he dressed. That doesn't mean that he's,
2: Ready really doing action.
1: too much at practice even. Yeah. So I don't, I think you're setting yourself up for disappointment. If you're expecting him to contribute at least in the first half of the big East play.
2: Yeah. Still need some time. I think he can come in and make an impact. I, I looked towards the end of last season and I was really impressed with what we saw from Brian, especially defensively, active hands, forcing turnovers, the quickness is there, um, but working his way back from an injury in a rotation that has been difficult to crack. I'll say with a smile. Um, it, we'll see where it goes. And I don't have too high expectations. If he can give you seven to 10 minutes, I think that'd be huge because that's, they don't have the ability to really find that elsewhere.
0: I agree with Emma and, and Ben you Pat too. I agree with both of you guys. I will say that I agree in the beginning part of the season, the beginning part of the big East season. If there is a way that this team turns into a, from a six loss big East team to a three Mm -hmm. loss big East team, something happens that clicks for this team that turns it into a top flight team that has a chance to run into the third weekend of March it's going to be Brian Antoine because it's not going to be one of the freshmen mm. right like Jay is not at this point Jay's not going to play the freshman like to any material degree unless one of them has a has a moment in practice where it all clicks for them or whatever the guy who most likely to get in and get those minutes is going to be Antoine which I think that'll push Archie Diacono back in the bench the question is what is Arch what is Antoine's ceiling, from what I've seen from the end of last season, to your point, Pat, I think Antoine has quite a ceiling. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the ability to change speed, to provide a different look, to, to to do something to this offense that we don't currently have, is something that Antoine brings to the table that I think is very intriguing. I, if he's healthy and he can do it, that is the that is the best case scenario for this team. That raises is the only guy right now that has a chance of playing that has a chance of raising the ceiling of this team. I do think that Jay will play him. I think he's played enough time in the program. He's paid his dues. Um, he's getting back from injury. He's had the, he's had the bug. I think Jay's going to have a little bit of a soft spot for him and give him some time. I think that might be one of the reasons why Archie Diakono getting so much burn um, is that he knows that Antoine's going to come in and, and end up taking point. those minutes. So I, I like Antoine to get more minutes as you get into February, The question is, in February, is Antoine going to take that step to be a big contributor? If he is, then that bodes
3: very well for our future chances. I'd be very surprised, to be honest. I think we're overrating what little glimpses and blips that we saw at the end of last season. If you remember the end of last season, it wasn't like he was consistently blowing the doors off people. He had a couple of nice games and even a couple of subsets of games that we're talking about where we saw flashes of what his ceiling might be. That to me with the layoff that we're talking about and having to ease him back into this roster, I don't think it's going to make a meaningful impact, unfortunately.
2: Yeah. I think those are all fair questions around him because he's never had a running consistency. So what do we know? <laughs> Not much. Yeah. We did get a
0: question. Does Daniel stay the sixth man? Yes. To yes. me, that's yes. that's that's definite.
2: Maybe one more, round it out. Yeah. So do you guys want to take one from yours?
0: Well, we have a funny one. (laughs) (laughs) We can close Uh, with that one. (laughs) No, I don't know. Let me me close with that one. We'll come back to that one. Um, There's a, uh, there was a question out there around. um, As Jay, sorry, I think you guys got it. I I know exactly what you're referring to. This is
2: coming from John Palma, puts in questions for us all the time. And I think it's a really interesting question does Jay have blind spots in his coaching? And if so, what are they?
0: I mean, the freshman, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like I almost would argue that Jay didn't have this stringent of a strategy, even just a few years ago. Um, Bay played significant minutes as a freshman. Like you could point to a, a litany of players who played significant minutes, but we just talked about in the first half of this podcast is in the 2018 season before he broke his hand, Jermaine Samuels point, got yeah. minutes on that team. Minutes. Like, and like we talked about it before, Colin Gillespie played a role, played, play, you know, shot the ball well, et cetera, kind of fit that team's identity. Demir Cosby Roundtree provided depth at a position where we had none. So you could understand why both of those guys would play minutes on the 18 championship squad. Jermaine Samuels was so redundant on that team and yet he played and he was, he wasn't good. He was like, he didn't play well. Couldn't shoot that minutes. year at all. Yeah. No, 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 no. He couldn't do anything that year. He kind of looked very lost on the court. He had one game against the Paul, then he broke his hand. Yeah, that's true. Um, I, I just think that Jay has kind of lost his way. I think he got like, Oh, I'm not a guy who plays freshman, like, and like kind of got in his, his own, his own head. I think he's got a blind spot here on, on, on this issue Um, and I really wish that he'd be able to find time for these guys. I, I, you know, Rob and I talked about it on our part of the podcast, but I'm just not, I'm not understanding why no minutes is the answer for these guys right now.
1: Yeah. It's just confusion in general. And Pat and I have talked at length about this, about how unfortunate the non COVID illness, the the flu-like symptoms that everybody had, the fact that it came during big five, because that might've been the moment in the season where drone Longino stepped up. And maybe that was when Njoku got some serious minutes against lesser sized guys and they would have just gotten some run under them so that they could be trusted for even four to five minutes in a game against Baylor or a game against Seton Hall or UConn on on a slightly lower level. I really like all of your Chris points. I think to me, it just comes back to a lack of adjustments and it can even go as far as to a recruiting standpoint. And I know this is stealing your thunder a little bit, Pat, but. It's, it's finding personnel that elevates you to the next level. And I don't think Brian Antoine maybe this specific year just because he gives you some bench depth. But there isn't a player on this roster at the, the, at the big man position that takes this team to a really high ceiling to, okay, this team can go out there and win a national championship. And mm-hmm. there have been a couple of years like that now, and it doesn't necessarily feel like that's going to change in the future.
3: Yeah. I will say one of our friends raised this question a little bit earlier too, thinking about kind of what role the assistant coaches play in this too. It's great. And I think it's it's a non, it's a non, I don't know what word I'm looking for. Basically, it would have an impact on it, is my hypothesis. And that if you look at who the head or the assistant coaches are this year, you've got a lot of folks who were former players, which again, Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that, but then also got their coaching start under Jay Wright. So you have a little bit of kind of a weird relationship, right, where you've got a kind of a mentor-mentee type thing where, yes, your job is to challenge your coach and challenge your employer. But at the same time, you're probably only going to push that guy that hard, right? And it's going to be different than if you came from some other program completely, had this totally different perspective And brought something totally new to the table, like you've basically been ingrained with Jay Wright's philosophy and had this inherent bias to say, well, what he's doing, you know, one or two titles, and that's the way I was raised. So that's the way I was raised to coach. So I do wonder if there's a little bit less challenging going on there than there may have been historically, but pure speculation on my end.
2: Yeah. And then my point goes into everyone's. I, I think he can be loyal to a fault and the, maybe the assistant coaching staff can be loyal to a fault And that, you know, guys like Jermaine Samuels was really bad against Baylor. He just was, I I'd like to see Jordan Longino, get a couple minutes and see what that athleticism and speed can do to try and change things up and, in opportunities like that. So I just, I know Jay's loyal to his guys. We talk about playing the older players. They know the system, get all of that. Of course we're, we're all Villanova's here. We know the drill, but Sometimes I think it can be loyal to a fault, and I think we've seen that a little bit this year.
0: All right, I think we have one question left, and we have to answer it. And I <laughs> yeah. think I think loyal to a fault actually is the good. <laughs> oh, it wow, I didn't even think good about that. <laughs> we got a question here that says, "What does Arch-Di- what does the Archie family have on Jay Wright? <laughs> what blackmail do they have that on Jay Wright? Obviously, this is referring to the fact that." Chris gets significant minutes on this team. Mm. Look, I, um, what can I say? Yeah, Jay doesn't trust the freshmen. He trusts the guys who've been in his program for a while. Arch, I'm sure Chris Archidiakano brings it every day in practice.
1: Yeah, that's what. There's no say.
0: debate about his work ethic. There's no debate about any of that. And so Jay goes, "Who am I going to turn to? I'm going to turn to the guy who doesn't drop my floor too low, and as opposed to raise my ceiling um, at the risk of." at the risk of also dropping my floor. And I think that that's where you get Archie for. I hate to give a serious answer to a sort of jovial question, but it's a, I think it just comes down to, it's just that simple. But I do think Antoine changed the equation.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. To give Chris some credit too, he really did prove himself last year in the tournament in, in Collins wake. And even at the end of big East play, it's obviously lacking more this year, but my question is who else and and risk taking goes back into another potential blind spot slash just, just cautionary track that, that Jay is on this year. And he know that he knows that Chris can go out there and not turn the ball over and make a few assists, facilitate the ball a little bit, get beat on defense, but it's better than yeah. the unknown of the freshman to him.
2: I, I say amen to Chris. I, I, yeah. I feel the same way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Rob <laughs> is
2: just smiling because he knows
1: that
0: if he I, talks – He's going to go on a seven minute rant. I got nothing. <laughs> I, said, I said my
3: piece. I said my All piece right. Chris. Well,
0: with that note, uh, this has been a blast That's and great. I hope we do more joint podcasts in the future. I think it's good. Um, I love listening to you guys. I think you guys have a great, a great show going. Um, and I love that you guys took over. I know you said that, that Chris and Eugene were legendary and they were. And uh, I think you guys are legends in your own right and doing, doing a quite, quite a good job with uh, the State of the Nova Nation podcast and over at VU Hoops. So congratulations and kudos to you on, on, uh, on getting that going and, and very excited to have worked with you uh, today on this podcast.
2: Oh, we, we really appreciate it. This was so much fun. We've been looking forward to doing this. I'm so happy we finally made the, the crossover a reality. Uh, I'm excited to follow this stuff all year and what you guys do here with the full 40. It's Just so much fun to listen to. I think it's the best way to put it with how you guys take everything. Uh, we're, we were excited to do this joint. <laughs> fun.
0: Fun. It's not, awesome. Not, not, not knowledgeable, but fun. Just, hey, <laughs> <we're>,
2: <laughs> we, <laughs> we don't claim to do that, Chris. Come on. Let's <laughs> keep it real. You know what I meant. <laughs> awesome. No, that was great. But guys, tell tell our listeners where they can find you on social.
0: Yeah. So we're uh, we're at the full forty on Twitter and Instagram. Um, we're also on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and then we've been doing a lot with YouTube with the live the um, video feed, the video recording um, of late. Uh, thanks to our producer Brian and our uh, our social our social uh, manager Rachel. Um, so we we're we're all over uh, all the socials, uh, all the, uh, all the places you can find podcasts. So that's where, that's where we are. Same question to you guys.
1: Emma? Yeah. You can find us on, on Twitter and, and at S O N N pod. And, uh, you can find me and Pat on Twitter as well. I'm at Emma underscore Houghton nine and Pat is at, at P 15, and you can yeah. find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts. Absolutely. Awesome. Let's make that in-person meetup happen. Yes, yeah, it. It.
0: definitely gotta do it. Love it. I would love the opportunity to do that. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah.
1: yeah. Thanks so awesome, much, guys.
0: Thanks so much for joining us. Um, appreciate it. Um, and have a have a great evening. You too. Go Nova.
2: All right. That was a ton of fun to do with the full 40. Shout out to the whole crew over there over at the full 40 with Chris, Rob, Brian, and Rachel had an awesome time doing it, but that will do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VU Hoops where there is plenty to read, especially on Baylor, of course, which was written by our own Eugene. we And more content will be coming throughout the week as we move into Big East week, which is super exciting for all of us. For the podcast, be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and follow us on Twitter at SONNpod Go Cats! Hope everyone enjoyed the mega episode. And Nova Nation, that's a wrap. Today's
3: episode is brought to you by Cars.com.